Influencer marketing will always be a human function, a human management business. It, it'll never be a Facebook ad, right? Because at the end of the day, he or she still needs to, we still need them to be creative. We still need them to do something on time and we still need to follow up with them. And that's human contact, that's human connection, right? So part of our technology suite is like cutting down the time in the human connection department, but you still need to connect with them with humans. And what that also means is that their channels are not fully predictive. So if I go to Chris, Joe, Matt, and Frank, and we're all the same, same audience, demographic, makeup, same type of content we all create, same everything. All things constant, all four will not perform the same. Their audience makeup might be the same, but very different in terms of buyer behavior. Their audience might be the same, but we have different content nuances, and those content nuances made people feel more comfortable in buying. Human. People forget the human part of influencers. Humans are fucking, they're humans, right? So when you're doing influencer campaigns and you're scaling influencer campaigns for brand, what you need to do is you got to do a short-term strategy that turns into a long-term strategy. So instead of locking yourself up to an influencer or a podcast for a year, you do a one-month engagement with a three-month plus up on it and a potential... Yo, this is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes to scale eight and nine figure businesses. We interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine figure businesses and talking higher level business concepts. So guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christian D. Evans. Now, we have all heard about influencer marketing and how that becomes so prevalent in one of your marketing channels in your business. However, though, so many times there's so many ways we can optimize and adjust it and modify and really, really take that next level. That's the reason why we have this next guest on. He's the co-founder and CEO of Viral Nation. They have worked with very large companies in so many different avenues and marketing side of things. Anheuser Bush, the Coca-Cola company, Disney, Facebook, Tim Hortons, TJX, Uber, and so many others. They have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Wired, CNBC, Vox, Business Insider. And at 12 years old, he decided to get into the paintball selling and reselling that stuff. And now all of a sudden, he's in the NFT space and influencer marketing. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only Joe Gagliese. How are you doing today, Joe? That's an awesome intro, man. Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Happy to be with you, man. Man, I'm excited about this, uh, and I really appreciate you being on here because, you know, you guys have been able to dominate everything in the social media world. And what I find so interesting is it's it's ever evolving, constantly the algorithms, whether it's you know Facebook, and obviously we're seeing kind of uh, the user users are adjusting from one platform to another platform to another platform. So naturally, with the companies you guys are working with consistently, you always have to be optimizing. What worked in 2000, gracious, 19 is not working currently and won't work in the future. So I want to ask you, Joe, just kind of help us 30,000 foot view. What's the law of the land right now? What's kind of the foundation? What's being built? And what do you see as the trajectory? Because influencer marketing, correct me if I'm wrong, is not going away, correct? 
Yeah, well, if you're if you're open to it, I'm ready to drop some heat on you about my thoughts of, of, of kind of living in this world as intrinsically as I do. Um, you know, I, I think that, and to tie it back to the NFT stuff, which I know we're going to get to later, you know, NFTs and cryptocurrencies uh, and Web3 technologies all predicate this idea of decentralization, right? It's decentralization, it's DeFi, decentralization, decentralization, the whole... Um, idea of decentralization is taking what was a very kind of antiquated system of certain individuals running process at that scale and kind of giving it to the hands of the consumer, right? That's what we see decentralization. And everyone in the world, if you ask them what Web3 is, it's decentralization, right? But what people haven't missed is that I, I find social media to be very, 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 very similar to cryptocurrency and Web3 in the sense that what we're seeing over the last 10 years and what you were commenting on about what's been changing so radically is this decentralization of media and human interests. That's what people don't talk about like they do in Web3. So we come from a world where the large brand or the large company or the government or whatever it may be had very verticalized ways of reaching humans, right? I'm going to go to Fox. I'm going to go to NBC. I'm going to go to People Magazine. Because reaching people has consistently been through very mainstream channels that have most of us in them, right? And then social media started to, social media and the internet started to change that because now we can go to where we're going. So like the next generation of that was show everyone the same shit in these very siloed channels to now start showing me stuff where I am. I'm searching for something, show me where I am. And then influencers started to really break the system because all that influencers are, regardless if you're Mr. Beast or you're Joe from Canada, right, is we're allowing people to build their own media around their personality, right? That's what your podcast is. That's why I'm here, right? You've been able to, as an individual, build an audience around yourself that you're now creating value for and in return, potentially monetizing, right? And that's unprecedented. And that's the thing people don't really talk, think, think about a lot, right? Like podcast space is big and it's growing and I listen to podcasts. What they're not understanding is now those radio stations that have held that ear for those years is being decentralized by individuals, humans like you, right? So what influencers are is influencers are saying to the big machine, hey, I'll build my own audience and I'll take care of my own audience and I'll tell my audience what I want to tell them. And that's blown the roof off of everything. So now you have people running around who now have, you know, 40 million people who like their lifestyle and their personality and the game they're playing on YouTube. And now I want to play that game. Whereas before that didn't exist. So influencer marketing is the result of media decentralization, right? It's the idea that now people can own their own environment. And that's now begun to supercharge and people aren't seeing it yet. So I'll give you an example. Um, Mr. Beast, for instance, launches a burger chain that does more revenue than any history of burger chains in the United States of America, right? Why? Because he is baking, he is baking a offering into an audience he owns, right? So it's like Disney Plus releasing Disney Plus. It's like Disney releasing Disney Plus. They own the audience. So it's just another thing. So when we start to look at the brand landscape and we start to look at how business is done in the world we live in now with this decentralization of humans now owning their own media network 
Now you're starting to see it start to play shape into our everyday lives. Politicians are becoming elected based on their social media. Can you imagine if Ron DeSantis or Hillary Clinton or any of these guys didn't have social media and they went up against the other if they did? They'd never win. So social media is becoming table stakes in terms of how am I going to become a politician? How am I going to become a successful real estate agent if I don't have a social audience? If I'm playing in the NFL and I'm like not Tom Brady, but I'm on the team, my social media audience keeps my spot. Now, what, what that all means is that now you have to think about from a brand perspective and a company perspective, how do I activate humans around what I want other humans to do? It's very different. And that's the big piece of why influencer marketing and companies like mine have gone parabolical is because now when I'm buying a Ford pickup truck, it's no longer the commercial that's getting me. It's no longer the billboard. It's no longer, it's the product. Product's still going to be great because us as consumers, we love good stuff. The good stuff is good. But when I go watch five YouTube reviews or 16 YouTube reviews of that truck before I buy it, that's weird. Ford's never dealt with that before. So some guy named Doug DeMuro who you know, doesn't tuck his shirt in is now the buy button of my customer buying a truck. Because if Doug says it's shit, my customer is not buying it. So this whole decentralization, this whole change in behavior and people owning their own audience has created the influencer space. Influencer is not necessarily, you know, hot girl, hot guy on Instagram posting, you know, get a flat tummy tea package, right? Like influencer is a lot of things. And I think the word influencer is really shitty as a representation of how amazing and how big the space has become. They're creators, right? They're, they're little media properties. And now as a brand, I got to figure out, well, shit, I'm spending a hundred million dollars on traditional advertising that these people aren't seeing because they're watching Joe. They're not watching these. They're watching Joe. They're they're going to the bathroom. They're watching Joe. They're you know. So, Viral Nations kind of set out to figure out how do you monetize this thing for brands, and that's influencers. That's influencers creating content for you. That's your social media now not becoming something you need to just run and manage, but is becoming like your website, right? Like my wife hasn't bought a single thing this year. I shit you not without checking it on Instagram first. I, I've gotten so many DMs for my new house we're building of stairs and plants and shit. I haven't gotten a link to a website this whole process for my wife. It's generally Instagram is where you're going to validate and then you're going to buy. So what we're seeing is social media is becoming the buy button. I'm not going to do anything unless I get that validation, which is why brands are now saying, I spend half a billion dollars in traditional media. I'm slowly moving that ship over to this world. And this world now is the world, we, it's a little black mirror, if I'm gonna be honest. But the reality is that now people control messaging. Like regular people control all the messaging, right? And I think that that delivers good things and bad things, right? I, th I think I remember a time where when I would read something online, I would be interested to know the pedigree of the person who wrote it at one point. Whereas now, it's really hard to distinguish who's credible and who's not. And anyone can say anything, which is where you get misinformation, which is where you get you know memes that go viral that don't actually aren't the reality. So there's some things that I think as a society and as a, as a country and, and et cetera, we need to learn about this thing. But I think overall, that's the way I see that climate and that environment. And if, that, if that's true, and if you believe that that's true or someone listening believes that that's true, 
then influencer and social and your ability to communicate through these channels becomes the most important thing for your brand, not only from a money-making perspective, but from a personal perspective too. Yeah, and you bring up some very good points in regards to kind of the, the policy and the systems, the processes to ensure that the right information is getting out. Because with freedom does uh, give us an ability to be able to you know share any content, but that could be a good or a bad thing. But I want to loop back around specifically in regards to the influencer marketing uh, with these larger companies, um, because majority of us, and I've had someone I was talking to a while back where majority of us, we think, oh, these big, you know, Joe Rogan, Oprah Winfrey, these individuals that are influencers, right, quote unquote, or, or like, um, you know, Dwayne Rock, where, okay, hey, Dwayne Johnson, excuse me, where they've got millions upon millions of influencers, et cetera. They spend X amount of dollars and boom, you know. But what I've noticed is it's really the micro influencers that are really, really the, the, the best engagement sometimes and the best conversations. I would just love to get your perspective on that. Have you noticed that as well? And then also when you're looking at those micro, is there any specific criteria that you're looking for to ensure that, hey, this is uh, you know, not only are they in the industry that we're looking for, but also really good engagement, et cetera. And then we do know that uh, other campaigns have worked, beta testing, et cetera. Well, it's a great question. And the Viral Nation answer is that we built, Viral Nation fundamentally is a technology company. I don't think people fully understand that. And the reason for that is because when you have a new and burgeoning industry, you need to sell it in a very familiar way. You can't you can't take an innovation and go push it down the throat of someone who doesn't understand the innovation without showing it and presenting it to them in a way that makes sense. Which is why when NFTs, for instance, became utility, large brands were like, okay, great, I'll try that. Because it made more sense in terms of their understanding, right? So Viral Nation's answer is, we've developed a suite of technologies to do all this shit for us, right? And that, because we do scale. So when, you know, Walmart taps our shoulder, it's, you know, 25,000 people. It's it's hundreds of influencers. It, so we use technology because we have to, right? So whether we're turning employees of a specific brand and influencers, influ we're using influencers or we're discovering them on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, we use our suite of tools across every implementation to do all that stuff for us. So we're looking for things like engagement levels, audience demographic breakdowns, listener breakdowns. We're trying to get a general sense of the audience that's sitting there, just like you would when you're buying a commercial in media. And then step two is, how do I activate this person against that audience the right way, right? Because a blanket approach doesn't work. So when you think about your question, it's using technology to really help guide for us at scale how we're, how we're choosing these folks and if they're major or if they're micro. Micro almost is like a faction of your customers. You can go out and find your customers in the micro-influencer space right, who are just that kind of evolved customer. They're that customer who's a creator, but that creator represents a base of people like them. So we use a lot of the micro creators for purposes like creating content for brands. What a great way for a brand to make kind of UGC content to find micro influencers who look like their audience demographics or their personas of their buyers and work with them to create messaging around those cohorts is something we do with influencers a lot, um, uh, micro influencers a lot. We do really cool ambassador and seeding programs with micro-influencers. So instead of going out and saying, I'm paying you, you know, half a million dollars for a YouTube video, big YouTuber, we go and we say, hey, 
you know, if you sign up for this program, you know, with a Sonos or, or, or with a Disney Plus or with whatever, and you're driving your customer base there and you're doing certain items or you're creating content, there's rewards for it. So almost like a rewards-based ambassador program where, you know, we have hundreds of influencers working on behalf of Disney, right? The micro ones. Um, so micro is really malleable in the sense there's a lot you can do with it. The whole idea that influencer marketing, uh, sorry, that micro influencers are more powerful is true, but it's false because people don't, don't take it the extra step, right? And that's, that's one of the fallacies of influencer marketing is that micros are more powerful than macros. What they're not understanding is the econo ec economies of scale. So yeah, the micro influencer with 100,000 followers, let's say, for instance, might drive me 20 sales to the macro guys 10, but the macro guy represents 10 of these guys. So I need to now manage 10 individuals to get this better output than one larger individual, right? So people always assume it's generally driven from like e-commerce and small business that when I work with micro influencers, they're more effective, right? Or they, they're, they, they, they convert better or whatever, but they're doing it in smaller doses and they're not adding up the work that goes into each one of them individually. So when you look at the economies of scale of how to use influencer, it's not necessarily that the micros are better engaged than the macros, even though the metrics might say so. That, that, that macro still got a, a loyal group in there that's a lot bigger than that one micro, right? So you got to be careful when you think about that because yeah, I might get more sales from this small guy, but I got to do it 15 times, right? So people sometimes don't correlate scale with effectiveness properly when they make that assumption about influencer marketing. I appreciate you sharing that because like you mentioned, both of those strategies are very effective. It's just depending upon how you deploy it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the deployment of those, those campaigns. Like you mentioned, UG, UGC, where you're able to develop that contextually to that person's audience, whether that's a macro, whether that's a micro influence, whatever that is, which is very effective. Now, I am curious, and you're talking a lot of these companies are, you know, 20, 30,000 influencers, right? That's one of the reasons why you have Viral Nation, which is that builds that infrastructure, makes it easy. I wanted to ask in regards to, because I, I've, I've talked to some people that are more like um, a smaller amount where they're able to work with maybe 100, 200 influencers. And they found that so effective, but they want to make sure that it's almost like a streamline instead of this massive push, because all of a sudden if they see, okay, hey, we're going to do 30 now, we're going to do 30 next week, we're going to do 30 next week, it almost elongates that campaign. Now, you're talking a lot of these companies that obviously can put billions of dollars into this, you know, 100 millions of dollars, so they can obviously accentuate that whole uh, campaign marketing um, for, for many, many months naturally. But I just wanted to ask you a little bit more strategically and tactfully what is the best way of deploying those campaigns? Um, you know, uh, maybe you could give us an example of a company that yeah, you work yeah. with and say, what does that look like? So we only, so just for clarity, we only go into the thousands of influencers if we're doing ambassador campaigns or we're doing employee advocacy. So we're turning like a brand's employees into influencers. That's when you get into like the 10,000 of them, 20,000 of them. Our general influencer campaigns are a couple hundred to a couple thousand, right? Um, so just to, just to, for clarity if someone's listening. Um, but to your, to your question, influencer is interesting because it depends on the KPI you want to get out of it. There's no answer to your question that's black and white because some companies use influencers to drive e-commerce sales. Some of them try do it to drive brand, like a Campbell's soup, for instance. And then some of them do it to drive other incentives or other motives or product releases or whatever. There's a lot of different reasons you would go. 
But the best course to go in general, like if we're going to sum up a general, is you do short to long term thinking. Uh, so the problem with influencers is that people think they're Facebook ads. I'm here to tell you as like the influencer guy who's been around since like 2012 and I was, you know, on the phone with Jake Paul's mom before he could sign a contract. Okay. Influencer marketing will always be a human function, a human management business. It, it'll never be a Facebook ad, right? Because at the end of the day, he or she still needs to, be, we still need them to be creative. We still need them to do something on time and we still need to follow up with them. And that's human contact. That's human connection, right? So part of our technology suite is like cutting down the time in the human connection department, but you still need to connect with them with humans. And what that also means is that their channels are not fully predictive. So if I go to Chris, Joe, Matt, and Frank, and we're all the same, same audience, demographic makeup, same type of content we all create, same everything, all things constant, all four will not perform the same. Their audience makeup might be the same, but very different in terms of buyer behavior. Their audience might be the same, but we have different content nuances. And those content nuances made people feel more comfortable in buying. Human. People forget the human part of influencers. Humans are, fuck it, they're humans, right? So when you're doing influencer campaigns and you're scaling influencer campaigns for brand, what you need to do is you got to do a short-term strategy that turns into a long-term strategy. So instead of locking yourself up to an influencer or a podcast for a year, you do a one-month engagement with a three-month plus up on it and a potential for a year extension. So what you're saying is very similar to like sports is I'm going to get this influencer to work on behalf for the first month. We're going to set some KPIs. And depending on how that goes, we're going to extend and then extend and then extend. That gives you the optionality if you make the wrong choice or if someone's not performing to the capabilities you wanted them to, that you can then switch, right? A lot of small brands and medium brands go out and they're like, I love this influencer. This influencer is great for my brand. Oh my God, the, the brand lady loves him. The CMO loves him. And they go do this deal for a year with this guy and then he posts and nothing really happens. And they're like, oh shit, right? So humans, right? So we're not, you know, we can have a pretty good idea of who's in that audience and we can get to what their interests are, what they like to buy. We're very detailed in our technology, but at the end of the day, it's human behavior and it's humans, right? So my advice to your question would be, you wanna have a test to long-term relationship. But what you don't wanna do is just use and dump an influencer. You want to have an opportunity to extend them because like any other form of marketing, I need to see things multiple times. If I'm a brand that thinks that I'm going to hire a YouTuber to review my, you know, my, my smartphone app, and I'm going to get a million downloads today, uh, as soon as that YouTube video goes live, social media has too much content, content in it for those things to work like they used to. It's impossible. You need to give it time. Right. So it's it's a balance of thinking and strategy to do influencer properly. What ends up happening is people rush into it. They go, I, I paid all these guys. They posted and I didn't sell shit. OK, well, did you check their audience demographics? Did you use any technology? Did you do a swap? You know, it, it's it's a human channel. It's not a Facebook ad. So your strategy and your approach means everything. Well, you mentioned something here because like you keep saying Facebook or YouTube where, you know, I know from running my own business, you have to have some sort of acquisition channel, but you also got to be measuring that, right? Certain KPIs to, in order to say, Hey, is this successful campaign? Is this not? So, Hey, how many people did we acquire from YouTube? Cool. Is it 
profitable? Is it not? Same thing with these influences. But since you're working with so many, I'm curious at a very micro level, are you running kind of, are you measuring those, you know, and let's just say, assume, let's kind of unpack that this company that they're pushing out, they're looking for some sort of almost you know, 30, 60 day, 30, 60 day sales revenue generation of some sort, right? So that's their goal. It's not just brand. Are they measuring that on a micro level from each influencer? If so, what does that look like? So let's, let's answer that and let's debunk another big influencer myth together. Okay. So the short answer is we've built tools and technologies to measure all this stuff, depending on what the KPIs, if it's installs, if it's e-commerce sales, it starts to get a little bit sketchy when you get into in-store and brand stuff because it's more high level. But everything the Viral Nation technology team is able to do is track anything and everything. And we got that, right? So that's all kind of in motion and set in place. And if you're working, you know, if you're someone listening to this and you're working with an influencer company who's not giving you those insights or, or, or helping you to deliver those insights on your side, because I'd say 80% of the time at Viral Nation, we're actually building into our customer system for reporting and actually not providing it because they want to see their reporting in the same way that they receive it for other channels, which makes total sense, but it is important to measure it. But let's debunk the biggest sin of influencer marketing from like an outsider perspective quickly. Influencer marketing is far more valuable than any other form of advertising and shouldn't be measured the way it's being measured. And I'll tell you why, that's the debunk, okay? So you get a lot of marketers and a lot of startups and a lot of e-commerce companies, a lot of big companies look at influencers as a performance channel. I'm going to compare this to my Facebook ads, right? Or I'm going to compare this to whatever it may be. And they're looking at it singularly. I paid you $1,000. You delivered me $500 in sales. Therefore, you suck. Okay? That's, you know, just the general performance thinking of a marketer. So... If you break down the value that you just received, so let's do a fun example, right? So let's say I own a um, uh, a Bluetooth speaker company and I hired a YouTuber and I paid him $25,000. He's a tech unbox YouTuber. I paid him $25,000 to review my product, right? And um, he goes ahead and does that. But this is the premise of our debunk, right? So I'm the owner. That video goes live 60 days later, I measure and I've garnered 10 grand in sales against my $25,000 outlay to the influencer. I'm pissed, right? Like what the fuck influencers. But if you step back for a second, you just got a long form piece of content describing the unboxing experience of your product. I would ask you to go and get a creative agency from anywhere in the US to quote doing that activity and back that cost out because an organic version of that piece of content is worth a lot, right? So if I don't have a strategy of how I'm gonna reuse that content, then I'm the asshole, not the influencer, right? So the content has serious value because that's what they're best at, right? Secondly is I just created SEO value. So what that means is when someone goes and searches for my product on YouTube because they're a customer, remember I told you things changed and people go and search things before they buy it on social. So now if I've served an ad through my channel, that's amazing. And someone has gone to YouTube and Googled it and uh, YouTubed it, right? And said, hey, this is this Bluetooth speaker I'm looking for. And they see that guy's YouTube video, watch it and then buy it. That influencer activation is what made that other channel succeed, right? So you're getting a lot of that kind of call it YouTube SEO. You're getting the validation, whatever. So you have the content and now you have this piece of content there that's acting almost like a perpetual 
uh, conversion funnel for you, right? For your other activities. And then last and last but not least, you're getting the verification. So, so we use influencers because they have a star value above an average consumer, right? Like they're, they're, they have a bigger audience than your average consumer. And this person's now validated your product validation from those types of people is like doing a celebrity endorsement. So now I ask you as the marketer to say one more component, sorry. And then over time with YouTube and social, you're going to get perpetual sales off that for a about four to 12 months. It, it'll continue to foster. So as a marketer, I'd ask you, why are you measuring this channel like that? If you want to measure this channel like that, we have to do it completely differently. Number one, but how much is that content worth to you? How much is it worth to you that your customers are landing there when they're buying your product for help unboxing it? What is it worth to you to have that notoriety and that third-party perspective? And when the marketers who understand that are the ones scaling influencer, the ones that don't understand that are going, I have better channels. Facebook ads are better. Influencers. And then the other big, 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 big debunk that goes with this one is they're not spending enough money on it. Right? You can't, as a brand, spend $6 million on Facebook ads over the course of 12 months, spend 200 grand on influencers and tell us what influencers are able to do. Okay, When you have influencer going at full scale, you're seeing multiple YouTube videos now of that Bluetooth speaker. You're seeing it on your Instagram. You're seeing it on your Snap. You're seeing it on the reviews. You're seeing it on the ads. You're see right? What does that mean? in terms of its long-term value against that other channel. So people aren't looking at influencer right in order to actually capitalize from the channel itself, because at scale, it is the most effective channel on earth. Um, but you gotta get to scale. This is so, so powerful. And I appreciate you kind of unbunking that a little bit. And it's so contextual and having that right expectation when you are deploying it with each channel. I wanna talk a little bit about kind of you were talking about macro, we talked about micro, but also then user-generated content for my customers. I have seen specifically off of TikTok, uh, you know, and, and maybe even the beginning where the water bucket challenge, it was it just became just exploded and it raised so much money for that. And I've seen so many people, one of the reasons why they a lot of people did that was just because it was fun, entertaining, engaging, et cetera. And I started seeing more challenges de being deployed. And I've seen some companies become very successful at using influencers to develop some sort of gamification of some sort, because then that really generates not only the macro, the micro, but also the uh, customers themselves. Starbucks did this once, I think. And, and you know, all of a sudden, everybody's taking pictures of their Starbucks, which a massive, massive increase. So I just want to ask, um, maybe in, in regards to kind of, you know, tactical uh, strategies in regards to pushing out a campaign, have you seen gamification as effective leveraging the influencer world? If so, give yeah, me an we example. Call it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's influencer as an add-on. So when we think about other ways to use influencer, right, we see it in kind of four different, I'll do three because the fourth is a little bit complicated. The three ways that we look at influencer as an add-on is in experiential and events. Right? So if I'm a brand and I'm spending all this money to be at the jazz festival with my Volvo, right? And, and hopefully people walking by are going to give me their email. How do we create that buzz it needs to really get that traction? So we'll layer influencers attending that event or pushing that event in order to drive that traffic. They need to really maximize the experiential. The event doesn't matter. How do you bring in people with social proof who are going to push people to come and attend? So we use influencers as a way to exfoliate experiential events, right? As an, as a, as an example. Second is media buys, 
So that challenge thing you're talking about is that exact example. So I might go to my TikTok, Viral Nation and TikTok are partners. So we go to TikTok and we say, okay, um, this big brand, L'Oreal, Vivid Seeds, whatever, is wanting to do a big media buy on your channel. They might recommend a challenge, right? Okay, let's do a big challenge around X, Y, Z. Okay, you're building the challenge, you're building the media buy, you're signing a deal with TikTok for let's say $10 million, right? To do a big media activation. Then what Viral Nation will do is once we're done laying out the activation, we'll have another budget ready for influencers to apply and work in the challenge. We're using the influencers as the cool factor to the challenge, right? So how do you get influencers involved? Because if the influencer is doing the challenge, their audience is doing the challenge. So we're using them to bring their audience to our media buy in a way, right? And then the third one, which is which is super cool, is 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 co-stream. This is thing that Viral Nation created a long time ago, which is you buy and lease influencers' channels to run other content. So let's say, for instance, a Call of Duty tournament is running in Atlanta this weekend. Viral Nation will have ten Call of Duty YouTubers streaming the tournament on their channels, right? So there's cool ways to use influencers to support other marketing activities which is an example of that challenge thing and et cetera. Because if you're integrating influencer into what you're doing, basically you're sending an invitation to one person you know comes with 20,000 other invitations. The influencer is your tastemaker, right? So if I invite Joe, all of Joe's army is gonna come. Think of it that way, right? When you, when you think, so if I launch a challenge on TikTok and I'm spending that amount of money, I'm not gonna risk not having the Joe's come. Hopefully the Joe's come, I'm not taking the hopefully approach. Joe's gotta come and bring his audience to participate in the challenge, right? So again, back to our original beginning of our conversation, it's just humans have the audience now. So instead of asking TikTok, they're asking Joe. And instead of asking, you know, instead of asking NBC, they're asking Joe, right? Joe, bring those people here. It's, it's actually stupidly simple, um, but, but it's, 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 it's extraordinarily powerful once brands and companies start figuring it out. Dude, that's why these companies that none of us have ever heard of are shocking these huge companies every day, right? Like Dollar Shave Club, right? ND Sleep, the mattresses and the boxes, Fashion Nova. These companies who have been grown to these massive numbers and notoriety, they don't do anything but influencer and social marketing, nothing. Because the shift that we talked about earlier has happened. And if I spend 100 million in, in traditional, that's going to get me what fucking 5 million gets me in social. Right, just because we're not there, no one's there. Like I watch YouTube at night with my wife on TV. I don't watch TV. I watch YouTube videos. Like I have like a, a set of YouTubers that I watch, and they're fucking awesome, man. Sometimes it's murder mystery stuff. Sometimes it's like guys fixing cars. Sometimes, but I can find my interest in people and what they do, right? Which is what TV is. TV used to fake that. TV used to be like fall in love with these. It, you TV almost took the path. If you think about it. this, is actually pretty cool. I've never thought of this before. Before TV made us try to fall in love with characters, right? So you'd watch, my grandma used to watch Young and the Restless. I don't know if you know that show or whatever, but it's like, just like a every day, Young and the Restless. I love this guy, this guy, Peter, he's such a bad guy, right? Like TV was all about how do you fall in love with the character, right? Then it was, holy shit, reality TV. Everyone loves reality TV. Please put on American Idol. Please put on The Voice. Please put on 16 prepubescent people stuck in a house together that can't get out. Please put in The Bachelor. Please put, right? And we started falling in love with people because that evolution of TV into reality was us being relatable to those people. That's why we watched it. Influencers are the social version. 
right? So it's like you watch TV do it, right? Like through that, that process, right? Because if you told people reality TV in the 60s and 70s, they would have thought you're a whack job, right? Like we need to create the character. Why are we going to let them get to know Joe? Who fuck cares about Joe? Like we need Joe to be muscular and French accent. They got, yeah. We've slowly learned that humans like engaging with people that they can feel comfortable with and that they're similar to. People like feeling comfortable with what they're watching and relate to it. Relatability is everything. If I can't relate to it, I'm never going to buy it, right? So we're relating to the people in the content we're watching now. And we're turned off a lot of times from the stuff that doesn't, we're not relating to. It's changing. It's freaky, man. It's pretty cool. It is awesome. And I think it's just going to be become even more of an evolution as things are becoming decentralized, which is really nice. Now, I would love to talk a little bit about uh, kind of pivoting to more of the, the web 3.0 space, NFT space. You guys are taking a huge stride in that, in that area. Um, tell me a little bit about um, kind of, you've been able to have these conversations with these larger companies. Um, how are they trying to navigate this, this space uh, to optimize it, maybe profit from it, building those communities. It is very community centric um, at, at a micro level uh, from what I've noticed, but I would love to just kind of get your holistic uh, view of it and then let's unpack it. Yeah, you know what too, uh, uh, you know, post our discussion, I'll send you, I wrote a LinkedIn article about my thoughts of big brands and stuff, or we could, we, we maybe even link it to, the, to this, but the thinking there is, is twofold. I've learned the Web3 space like a real Web3 person would. Right. Like, and I think that's important to call out because I think there's the space that people think is the space and then what the actual space is. And until you're actually becoming a professional of this space, you don't understand what's really going on. Uh, and I, I can tell you firsthand because I, I took the regular route in and I worked my ass off to figure out how it all worked. Right. Because I'm not, I'm not, excuse me, you know, the type of person who, um, I'm a pessimist, right? So I, I, I'm the guy who doesn't like NFTs. I was the guy who doesn't like Web3. So for me, going through the journey of learning that business came with no blinders on. I really, like I learned it. I learned how to buy my own first NFT by myself and get my own wallet by myself. I got scammed three times because I pushed a link and I sent my code to some other guy. And I, I, I went through the whole thing, right? And, and, I, and, I, and I met the founders of Ethereum and I went to the polka dot Christmas party and I got to know these people. And, and you know, I came back to my team at some point after really getting enthralled in the space. And I said, guys, you know, it's almost not ready yet. And, and they're like, what do you mean? Like everyone's talking about NFTs, what the fuck? And I said, it's not ready yet because what I learned through that journey, man, is that that world is still a small community. And I think people, I think big media and social media have made it feel like it's Bank of America. But the reality is behind the scenes of Web3 technology, cryptocurrencies and NFTs is still a very small community. And that small community controls everything. And that is not where the consumers of Disney are today. The consumer of Disney might be interested in the concept of NFTs. The consumer of Disney might think that the, you know, the, the NFT that sold for $6 million is cool. Um, the Disney consumer might have a wallet on their phone if we're lucky, if we're lucky, but no idea how to, how to use it, right? So when I got to know the space, I, I started to understand that this space has a long way to go and that community that controls it is still very small, that kind of degen community, that Twitter, that founding group, that you know, ultra nerdy 
if you don't understand my shit, get away from me. Very interesting kind of cohort of folks that control that space. So when we looked at it, we're like, okay, well, if that's the case, what are we doing? Like, how are we gonna how are we gonna address this? Because we got to be careful because you don't want to shoot a big brand into a place where they're not going to get a benefit, right? So what we did was we started to change the conversation with brands to this is not a moment for you to make money. This is a moment moment for you to jump on the notoriety train of crypto and 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 ride it a little bit, right? This isn't a transformational time for your company, but this is a great time to show your company's innovative. It's a cool communications moment for you guys to say, hey, we're thinking about this for the future. Not necessarily Disney now runs on tickets that are NFTs, right? Like, and that's what I tried to show brands was like, there was, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons to dip your toe in. There's a lot of reasons to leave your whole leg out, right? That was kind of my thesis with, with the brands. And that's kind of how our nation has been dealing with it. So the large, large brands on occasion, we will, you know, some of them will experiment with doing like a NFT game day where they're giving away an NFT at a game, just familiarizing the larger brands with kind of cool ways in. Then what we did was we said, okay, well, if this place is controlled by so many, so small of an amount of people, who are these people? Let's figure out who the people are that are controlling the narrative of Web3 online. And what we found was there's a group of kind of YouTubers, people on Twitter, Reddit, um, and some TikTokers who really control almost the entire nucleus of conversation around projects in the entire space, right? They're part of these DGen communities where all the people who are really buying are, right? So we're like, okay, how do we approach this? So what we what we started to do is we started to sign Web3 talent. So now we represent almost all of the large Web3 YouTubers, NFT YouTubers, YouTube TikTok, uh, sorry, uh, NFT TikTokers, Web3 TikTokers, huge base we now uh, represent exclusively here at Viral Nation. Um, you know, like BitBoy and, and some of like the, just the major names in the space because they're the tastemakers. They're the ones that people go to and go, is this good or am I going to get killed? So what we did was we worked with them, we signed them and we built out processes to protect them. That was the first thing we did. We didn't go for revenue, we went for protection. How do you vet these deals? How do you stay away from Kim Kardashian getting, you know, getting nailed by the SEC? How do you make sure we're pushing your audience into the right deals? Because what we don't want to do is villainize the influencer. Like they pushed this crypto project, all their audience went and bought it and they all lost their money. That's, that's really short-sighted in terms of an influencer's kind of objective with their audience, right? So we figured out a bunch of different, like, call it auditing processes. So when an influencer FRL Nation in the crypto space gets a deal, it goes through an audit phase. And we've built all these processes in the background to do these really cool audits. And then from there, um, we work with them to get and develop the deals. And then we set up a Web3 marketing department that's there to help, you know, the Coinbases of the world, the polka dots of the world, the guys who are really in the space, because they want access to the influencers and et cetera. And that level of professional understanding from us, from the talent side and the companies in that space allows us to just seamlessly and safely deliver the right options to the larger brands. So that's kind of our Web3 department is more around how do we wrap our arms around this space to kind of control the communication and narrative in the space? And then how do we then formalize how we bring brands into it? See, because one of the things that I've found interesting is the blockchain that it's obviously sits on right the technology itself and right. again i'm not very you know very similar to you I, I got into it a little bit of understanding buying selling you got scammed but it, you you learn right 
I like this approach where, hey, maybe taking two, three percent of your marketing budget or maybe even your marketing kind of department and focusing on a project of some sort so that you get some taste because it's going to be revolutionary and you can't ignore this industry. So you've got to do something. you got to beta test. And this is time to figure it out before it becomes huge and you're, you're, you're totally behind. Uh, very similar with a lot of companies with social media. They didn't think that was going to be huge. Now, all of a sudden, it's you can't do it without it. And um, same thing with like what you mentioned. DeSantis and all these politicians, it's, it's got to be. My question though is regarding the structure of the NFT itself, right? Maybe the project, maybe you could give us some ideas because the smart contracts in the back is what I find so interesting. Um, obviously Gary Vee, very well known naturally, he's pushed out a lot of NFT, big, big advocate for it. But I also want to ask, you know, in regards to just, because it's, you know, marketing itself and structuring and campaigns, et cetera, it's all about the creativity and how we approach this, this new technology, this new platform that's being established. So let me ask you, Joe, what have you found with the NFTs um, on the back end of like the smart contracts, the, the creative ways that these companies are kind of using that, uh, maybe direct access to a, um, you know, kind of XYZ product that all the other people don't have, but because you have the NFT kind of ticket, uh, but also what I find interesting is that those individuals can then resell that token uh, once they don't want that access anymore. Is that correct? It's just really dependent yeah. on the smart contract, but so, I'll let you just unpack that. Yeah, there's four routes in for enterprises right now. One is membership, right? So if I have a rewards program or a membership program, I either buy the membership or I buy the NFT. And the NFT gives me the same perks as the membership. You don't put a limit on them so that you're not creating any type of like a... Uh, any type of an equity of any kind so that, you know, it's just, this is my pass to the brand to whatever it may be, right? So looking at it that way, the other side is ticketing, right? So we have a lot of customers, like we, you know, we work with Chelsea FC and some of these larger organizations and, you know, using NFTs for ticketing and game day is a really cool way to get on the phone of the fan. Um, so they're using it as a way to kind of lead capture and get fans into their ecosystem. So they're using it more to, get the data that comes with you signing up for the NFT and, 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 and et cetera. So you have like the whole ticketing side, you have the whole membership side, then you have like the event slash utility side. So I have this NFT and I get to do X, I get to go to the Louis Vuitton opening in Paris. I get to, you know, more so like utility, this gives me access to different things that, you know, your regular customer doesn't get. Um, and then there's the product version, right? So you have companies that are actually selling their own version of NFTs, right? You got Nike pushing towards, you know, the NFT shoe lines. You've got, um, you know, other players in the mobile gaming and gaming space getting into NFT versions of like in-game clothing and in-game upgrades. You're, you're starting to see it productized, right? I think, you know, the end, the reality of it is NFTs allow us, NFTs and Web3 and crypto allow us to basically do whatever the hell we want. It's just big brands move slow. Big brands don't take risks. And I, I generally don't think that the average consumer, I don't even think over nine, I think 90% of them or more aren't even uh, daily active users in the NFT and crypto space, right? So until those things all catch up to each other, brands will go last. What you'll see is once you have over a certain percentage of the population kind of riding the crypto bandwagon and they're transacting that way, or they're, you know, we've made it easier and now Bank of America, who knows, right? Whatever that path ends up being. Once you see the customers come online, you'll see the larger brands who aren't crypto brands start coming. Until then, they're not going to spend or take a risk on going after 2% of their market share. 
Well, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense because I do know that there, there has to be a lot that's established, but it's a very, very uh, innovative industry. So I appreciate you explaining that. Uh, Joe, I just appreciate your time, man, today talking about and unpacking at a very high level, kind of the, uh, you know, the influential world, but, at, you know, what, what your company is doing in its space, right? Because it's very revolutionary. There's a lot of stuff that's going on on the back end, whether that's metrics, whether it's KPIs, and your company is able to solidify that all in one dashboard and integrate as well with their dashboard so that it becomes very accessible, making sure that those campaigns are very successful on the back end. Uh, and then as well as just understand a little bit about the web, uh, web 3.0 and the foundation and some of those that are listening to this. And there's also the exclusive uh, exclusive uh, exclusivity of those people of influencers that you're working with in the in that space. Very, very exciting. Uh, Joe, how can my audience reach out to you and be part of what you got going on, my man? Uh, listen, listen, um, anyways, fine. I mean, if it's if, if you're looking to get more information about what Viral Nation does and et cetera, anywhere on the site, it'll direct you to, you know, kind of where you where you wish to kind of land. And then I'm always accessible through through LinkedIn. So if you're ever, you know, if there's any questions personally or anything like that, uh, my LinkedIn uh, is an easy place to grab me. Awesome, guys. Those links are in the description below. So if you're sitting there and you've got some influential marketing stuff going rock and rolling, but you know that there's always a way to improve it or you don't have any really dashboard metrics, uh, you need to reach out to Joe and his system and his platform. Uh, Joe, again, I appreciate you being on here. Those links are in the description. Uh, I always love to ask my guests before I let you go fully, is there any last words of wisdom they'd like to share with our audience? Um, treat, you know, Treat the people around you amazing. And, you know, let's get back to, you know, all, all being kind of all being kind and understanding of each other because the world's gone a little bit too more too separate for me. And uh, I'm, I'm a liver, lover, not a fighter. And I just, you know, I want to see that kind of camaraderie come back with everyone. So if, if you know, love your neighbor and, you know, uh, uh, treat the people around you, uh, you know, like family um, and just to see too, too little of that. Uh, today. So, you know, your, your neighbor, even if he has opposing views from you, is still a good guy um, or, or a good woman. So, you know, let's not forget that. Um, that's kind of my my sign off, uh, my sign off today. I love it. Always a good reminder, guys. That is my friend, the co-founder and CEO at Viral Nation, Joe Gagliese. Guys, that is Journey with me, Christian Diaz's podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guests by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guests. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.